Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. We will sing forever the song of the redeemed. No angel can declare it as we can. What a great privilege we have in Christ. We have been looking over the last several weeks at the idea of no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. We'll be looking at the names given to Jesus. When you have a name that is given to you at birth, that name, generally speaking, is a name in which you have no choice in. Uh, it's a name that is given for many different reasons. Sometimes it can be a name that is passed on because of other family members. Uh, sometimes it can be a name that was just randomly selected, but your parents liked. It may not be something that is terribly descriptive of you. In fact, every now and then you will meet someone, and then you meet the person, and you hear the name, and they just don't fit. For instance, I had a cousin, and we called him Little Terry. And the reason we called him Little Terry was because his dad's name was Terry and his dad was Big Terry. So I never met Big Terry, but I met Little Terry. Well, Little Terry was somewhere in the neighborhood of around 400 pounds. He, he was a big, big fella. I mean, he was tall. He was stout. He was a big man. He wasn't little in any way, shape, or form. But that was his name. That's what I always knew him. I have an aunt that all I ever knew her as was Tinesy. Now, some of you have no idea what that means. But when something's really small, you will say that it's Tinesy. And when I knew her, she wasn't tightsy. And so I never quite understood where she got that name, but that was the name that she was given. That's all I ever knew her as. In fact, I remember one day going someplace and looking for her. I didn't know her real name. I just said, I'm looking for tightsy. And they had no idea who I was talking about. But that's all we ever knew her as. My kids, each one of them have kind of developed a nickname. Now, the first, the last two, we haven't really gotten there with them yet. With Mariah, from the time she was little, I have always had a nickname that I have called Mariah. It was twofold. One, it was because as a child, this is exactly what she was to me. And two, as a dad, I wanted to make sure that she understood this is what she was and that this is what her daddy always thought of her. And so Mariah's nickname is Beautiful. So if I call Beautiful, Mariah will come to me because she knows that's exactly what I call her. I've always called her Beautiful and she knows that. Justice, now Justice has got about 87 nicknames. He, he'll kind of respond to anything. Um, but most of the time, like this morning, I walk up to Justice and he's getting ready and he's wanting to wear a bow tie. So he has a black and white plaid shirt. And he's wanting to wear a bow tie with it that is a different kind of plaid. Yeah, you know, so some of the moms in here are going, ooh, and Karen was kind of the same way. But it's what he wanted. And so for me, I walk up to Justice, and Justice is just smooth that way. He just, he don't care. It doesn't bother him. It doesn't rattle him. It's fine. He's just smooth. So I'll walk up and say, what's going on, smooth? And so I'll call Justice smooth a lot of times. So Mariah's beautiful, Justice smooth. Now, Eden comes along. Out of the three, Eden was the biggest baby. In fact, out of all five, Eden was the biggest of the babies. But yet she is the smallest kid so far of the older three. She's just been very slow to grow. She's just small. So also, before I get there, Eden is very strong-willed. And so now you have the fact that she's little and she's very strong-willed. So her nickname is Smalls. Yeah. You're killing me, Smalls. So, so that's where her nickname comes from. And so I've got the three, and they've all got nicknames. And I'm working on the other two. Uh, Tinsley, I tend to call Teeny right now, and so I haven't quite gotten there. For a while, I was calling them Bean. One has blonde hair, one has dark hair, so it was vanilla bean and coffee bean, but that one hadn't really stuck. So I, I'm working on them. But, but the names, they kind of fit the personality, and then it just works. When it comes to the names of Jesus... We have to look at them in context to understand 
here's who Jesus is. Here's the name that was given to him from God. Here's the person it was given to about him. And here's the context where it fits. And when you put it all together, you go, oh. For instance, in the Old Testament, God reveals himself at different stages. And he reveals himself at a point to Moses. Moses goes to the burning bush. He's there. He sees it. He takes off his shoes. He's been told to go deliver Israel. He's going, I can't get them out of Egypt. I don't know what I'm going to do. If they ask, who sent me? What am I supposed to tell him? And God then reveals his name to Moses. And he says, you tell them that I am sent you. I am whatever you need. You're going to need someone to help deliver you. I am the deliverer. You're going to need someone to part the Red Sea. I am the one who can part the Red Sea. You're going to need someone to conquer giants. I'm the one who defeats giants. You're going to need someone to provide food. I am the one who is the bread of life. And so on and on and on, I am defined exactly what Moses and the children of Israel needed in the name of God. Last week, we looked at how in Isaiah, all of this judgment is being proclaimed on the nation of Israel because of their rejection of God. And then there is a promise given of the Messiah who is to come. And we looked at the names just in that promise in Isaiah chapter 9. And it was wonderful counselor. You're going to need wisdom in the future. And I'm going to send the wonderful counselor to make sure that all of the questions of life are completely answered. Not only was Jesus going to be the wonderful counselor to the nation of Israel, he was going to be the mighty God. You're going to see opposition. You're going to see enemies. Your nation is going to be put into bondage. But I'm going to send the mighty God who has the power to take care of all of those problems. Then he went on to say the everlasting Father, the Messiah is going to come who is the Prince of Peace. When the angel appears to Mary, can you imagine all that goes through Mary's mind? We know a little bit. Scripture tells us some of it in Luke. As Mary's going through this struggle and the angel appears, and she says, how can this be? And the angel says, no, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to have a child. And in all of this turmoil and all of this confusion, the angel from God does not give a mighty name, if you will, to Mary. He gives Mary the exact name Mary needed. You see, for mom, when that baby comes along, it's a little different. Dad can look at that baby and have great plans of future and vision and everything. Mom loves that baby at that moment just like that. And in so many ways, as we grow up and we get older, mom still sees us just like that. And so the name that the angel gives to Mary is Jesus. Now, to you and I, that name has incredible divine meaning. But in that day, Jesus was just the, the, the new update of Joshua. It was a name that may have been very common. That's why often in Scripture you see Jesus of Nazareth. It, it was to help understand who he was. But when you see Mary and all the emotions of this moment, God says to her, here's your baby, and he's going to be Jesus, and you're going to raise him. And for Mary, that's the comfort she needs. 
when the angels appear in the bright skies of heaven and declare to the shepherds, over in Bethlehem is born. There is one born that is God, the Messiah who's been promised. The declaration the angels make is, behold, the Savior, Christ the Lord. You have in Savior, the Messiah, the redeeming one, Christ, his deity and Lord, his power. And so as the heavens fill with the host of heaven and the angels and the skies are bright, the shepherds get this name, Savior, Christ the Lord. Let us go see where he lays. And they can't help but go and see him. When the wise men begin to travel to try and find Jesus, they come before Herod, and when these wise men, these men of great political position in their countries, these men of great power, wealth, and authority, when they come before Herod, they come to Herod and say, hey, where is he? Where is the one that was born? King of the Jews. They were men of position. They were men who recognized power and authority. And so Jesus was revealed to them as King of the Jews. But to Joseph, we get a different name. In Matthew chapter 1, when the angel appears to Joseph, Joseph's got questions. There in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example was minded to put her away privately. <laughs> what you've got taking place here is Mary and Joseph were engaged. They were espoused. In that culture, being espoused was the same legally as being married. Though at the time of espousal, many times a dowry had been paid, the man would go to his family's house and begin to build an addition onto the house so that there would be a place for he and his wife and future family to be. That time of espousal was a very important time because it gave him time to build, but it was a legally binding time because, forgive me, but this is basically what it amounted to, he had already paid for her. He had bought the right to marry Mary. So when Mary becomes pregnant, it's very simple math in Joseph's mind. Mary's been unfaithful. And so at this point, Joseph has two choices. In that custom, he actually could have had Mary put to death. It was a capital crime to be unfaithful in that setting. But Joseph being a good man and having in his heart compassion and mercy towards Mary, he seeks to put her away privately. He recognizes that what she has done is a shame and reproach and embarrassment on his family. It's an embarrassment on his name. But when he looks at Mary, instead of demanding justice for his name, which if you look at the Old Testament, it's exactly what Judah tried to do with his daughter-in-law. He, he, he says, instead of having her put to death, I'm going to put this away privately. I will write the bill of divorcement and this will be done, and we don't have to make a big deal about this. Joseph may very well have even gone to Mary's father and said, I want my money back. And in the midst of this, there is a mercy in Joseph, 
But there's also a resolve. There's a resolve in Joseph that she did wrong, and I'm done with this. I'm not putting up with this. This is wrong. Verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with the child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. There was an appeal to, to Joseph as a dad. Look, his name's going to be Jesus. This is the name that Mary's going to call him. It's the name I've told. But Joseph, I want you to understand that this child, this child is from God, and this child will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Can you imagine as Joseph begins to try and put that together? God with us? Now, here's another aspect of this. It was common in those days. And when I say common, it's not like it happened every night, but, but we do see it throughout Scripture. It was common for God to reveal a truth through a dream. But we were joking about this just the other night at dinner, how sometimes people will wake up from a dream and they will be fighting mad about what they dreamed when it was just a dream. It, it didn't really happen, but in their mind, they were convinced that it happened. And so they wake up upset, and it was just a dream. When Joseph wakes up, it was a dream. But it was different, and he knew it, and he recognized it. But over time in Joseph's life, I just have to wonder how much that dream began to fade. Joseph now is faced with a decision. God has said, Joseph, you marry her, it's fine. This is good, this is my doing. Inside of her is me, Emmanuel, God with us. But Joseph, what you've got to do now is you've got to put aside all of the embarrassment. You've got to carry all the cultural shame. You've got to go and do what for years will stick with you. For years, Joseph, you are going to endure the sideways glance. For years, Joseph, you're going to hear people make comments about this child. You're going to hear people make comments about your wife, about you. And you're going to have to endure it. And you're going to have to carry that load. But it's okay. Obey me and do it. Because that child is God with us. The weeks pass. The decree comes out. Go back to Bethlehem for the census. 
Joseph, in the midst of all of this, takes Mary and they go. When they get to Bethlehem, the time is accomplished. Jesus is born. And now here's Joseph. In the quiet of a stable, as quiet as it can be, with a small child and questions. God, it's just a baby. It's like every other baby I've ever seen. Are, are you sure he's you? God, I, I could use another message here. Uh, maybe a better dream tonight? Maybe any dream tonight would be good if it's a newborn. What, I'm lost. One author put it this way. On the night when Jesus was born, I wonder if Joseph ever prayed, Father, this all seems so bizarre. The angel you sent, any chance you could send another? If not an angel, maybe a person, some company would be nice. Maybe even a shepherd would do. Perhaps he did, perhaps he didn't. But you probably have. You've probably been in that place and stood where Joseph stood, caught between what God says and what makes sense. You've done what he told you to do only to wonder if it was him speaking in the first place. You've stared into a sky blackened with doubt. You've asked what Joseph asked. You've asked if you're still on the right road. You've asked if you were supposed to turn left when you turned right. And you've asked if there is a plan behind the scheme. Things haven't turned out as you thought they would. Each one of us knows what it's like to search the night for light. Maybe not outside a stable, but perhaps outside an emergency room. Or on the manicured grass of a cemetery. We've asked our questions. We've questioned God's plan. And we've wondered why God does what he does. The Bethlehem sky was not the first to hear the pleadings of a confused pilgrim. If you are asking what Joseph asked, let me urge you to do what Joseph did. He obeyed. That's what he did. He obeyed when the angel called, when Mary explained, and when God sent. He was obedient when the sky was bright and on that night when it was dark. He didn't let his confusion disrupt his obedience. He didn't know everything, but he did what he knew. He shut down his business, packed up his family, and went to another country. In the days from this moment there in Bethlehem, he would have to go into Egypt to protect Jesus' life. Why? Because that's what God said to do. What about you? Just like Joseph, you can't see the whole picture. Just like Joseph, your task is to see that Jesus is brought into your part of the world. And just like Joseph, you have a choice to obey or disobey. Because Joseph obeyed, God used him to change the world. He can do the same with you. God still looks for Joseph's today. Men and women who believe that God is not through with this world. Common people who serve an uncommon God. Will you be that kind of person? Will you serve even when you don't understand? No, the Bethlehem sky was not the last to hear the pleadings of an honest heart. And perhaps God didn't answer every question for Joseph. But he answered the most important one. Are you still with me, God? 
And through the first cries of the God-child, the answer came, Yes, Joseph, I am with you. Through the small face of the stable-born baby, he says, Yes, yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, your name is written in heaven. Yes, death has been defeated. And yes, God has entered the world. Emmanuel, God with us. Just because God is with us doesn't mean we always see and understand. But what Joseph needed more than anything was to understand that this baby was not just some ephemeral idea of God. This baby is God. And now God is with us. It makes all the difference. And even in the midst, when you don't understand, you have to recognize that God is with us. When the sky is dark, when things don't make sense, Joseph, it's who he is. Believer, it's who he is. He is with us. When we look at the idea of Emmanuel, God with us, we have to recognize God with us deserves to be announced. The world needs to know. The shepherds were told, and when they were told there in Luke chapter 2, when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. They couldn't help it. They had to tell everyone. When the woman at the well encountered Jesus in John chapter 4, she goes back into her village and she begins to proclaim to everybody, God is with us. She said, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And the people come and they believed in Jesus first because of her testimony. And then they say, no, now it's not because of her, but it's because we have seen. Once they heard, they couldn't help but announce it. When Andrew and Peter find out about Jesus in John chapter 1, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And when he saw Jesus, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. When we recognize that Jesus is more than just a concept, Jesus is more than just a historical figure. Jesus is more than just the one we come to church for. Jesus is God with us. He is real. He is here. He is part of who we are. And when we recognize that we are image bearers of God, and therefore we are image bearers of Christ, and that who we are is who He is in the sense that we represent Him on this earth and all of who he is deserves to be announced and proclaimed. And we must announce it. When we know that this is God with us, we cannot help but declare to the world, God with us deserves our attention. We have to recognize and give attention to this. Now look, for you and I, the, the concept of the birth of Christ is so common that it just almost, the starkness of God with us eludes us. I want us to see an example, the mindset of the people, the mindset of Joseph when God is revealed, Emmanuel. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. A very familiar passage here. Elijah has been the prophet of God. Ahab is a wicked, wicked king. As a result of his wickedness, God is sending judgment on Ahab and the northern kingdom of Israel. 
Elijah gives the decree that there's going to be no rain for years, and it does not rain. People are sent to try and find Elijah, to have him put to death. Jezebel is involved in this, trying to find him. They can't find him. They want him killed. Finally, Elijah comes back out of hiding where God had hidden him. He then declares, Ahab, come together. We need to settle this. The problem, Ahab, is that you and the people of Israel have chosen to reject God and worship Baal. Now, that story we're going to see unfold in just a bit. But what's important about this moment in this story is that we now see the way people's minds worked in that day and age when it came to considering a God. So whether it was Jehovah God or whether it was Baal, they had this mindset about God. So here's what Elijah does. Join me in verse 21 of chapter 18. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. They didn't dare speak. Verse 23. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock and lay no wood and put no, excuse me, and lay on wood and put no fire. Verse 24. And call ye the name of your gods and I will call in the name of the Lord and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. The test that he gives to prove God is, hey, let's put two sacrifices out in which everyone gets consumed by fire from heaven. That one is the God. Okay. The people look at that and go, oh, yeah, we got a deal. That's good. We'll do that. You and I would look at that and go, I don't understand. Why would you even think that a supreme being would send down fire to consume this in front of you to prove himself. But very much, that was the mindset of the people. Supreme being in heaven, above, all-powerful, and us. There was no connection. There was just who will send down fire. So here's what the prophets of Baal do. They continue on. Verse 27, um, well, 26. And they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered, and they leapt upon the altar which was made. So, so here's what they're doing. There's 450 prophets of Baal and they're just calling on Baal. Oh, Baal. So they're dancing and they're doing these enchantments and they're trying everything. And the Bible says they, they start jumping up on the altar and they jump off the altar and they're calling on Baal from morning all the way till lunchtime. And they're getting no response. To look at this, to watch this scene unfold, if you and I were there, we would be completely weirded out. Okay, so the closest thing in my mind that I can get to is those of you who are old enough would remember like National Geographic things you would see. That, that's as close as I can get to here. People jumping around with spears and, and doing all of these mystical things and fires and smoke. That's what I see in my mind. So they are desperately trying. Verse 27, it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awakened. 
And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. And you begin to look at the desperation of these prophets of Baal to get this supreme being that they believed existed to respond to them. That is the mindset of an Old Testament individual. And that's who God was. God was this being up there. Well, we know how the story goes. Baal never responds. Elijah tells him to bring in all of this water. And then Elijah just says, God, and it just burns up and burns everything up and destroys it and gets all the water and it's all done. So God sends and answers the request of Elijah in a miraculous way. But what I want you to see from this is here's the mindset of people. That there's this supreme being, and we're just these little minions down here, and he sends down fire whenever he wants to. And so their recognition of deity, godness, and humanity, they got the difference. The thought of a God becoming a man, they couldn't get. It was unfathomable to them. We make God so small in our day and age that it's not as unfathomable as it was to them. To them, Baal was so big. And then God appears to Joseph and says, this baby is me with you. You see, the fact that God is with us, it demands our attention. He deserves the fact that we recognize that there is a personal connection that we have with God that no one else ever had. Oftentimes, you and I, we think about, man, I can't wait to get to heaven to ask some of the people in the Bible how things happen. Daniel, Daniel, what was it like being in the lion's den with all the hungry lions. I mean, did they just like lay down like kittens? Or, or did they just like walk around you snarling and growling? But there was this angel knocking them away. Oh, what was it like in the fiery furnace? What was that? I mean, how did that happen? Did you see him? Or did other people see him? Or did he talk? How did it? And we have all these questions. It was pointed out this week. I read somebody said, we're going to get to heaven and Daniel's going to look at us, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and David. What was it like having the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you? What was it like having God with us? And to you and I, it's familiarity that has bred contempt. We don't even think about it. We should be so in awe. We don't have a, perhaps he's on a journey, so cut yourself and bleed until he responds. We have, according to Hebrews chapter 4, a high priest which has been touched by our infirmities was in all points tempted like we are and yet without sin. 
We have God with us who endured like us, who knows what we go through, who understands, who has the empathy to help, who has the power to deal with it, and who has the love to care about us. Because he's Emmanuel. He is God with us. It deserves our attention, and God with us dictates our action. We are called to action. There, when Peter had, Jesus had risen, he was gone, excuse me, he had risen from the dead, and, and he was out and about at this point. He had not ascended yet. Peter looks at the other disciples and say, I go fishing. Well, they are out fishing, and Jesus shows up. They come off the boat, they come into shore, and Jesus begins to talk to them. Jesus looks at Peter and says, lovest thou me more than these? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. And, and this goes back and forth. He says to Peter, look, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep, because your love, the fact that I am with you, even though at this moment I'm getting ready to leave and the Holy Spirit's getting ready to come. Peter, what you have to understand is I'm still going to be with you. So you've got to feed my sheep. And there at the end of that passage, in verse 22 of John 21, Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, speaking of John, what is it to thee, Peter? Follow thou me. And we get this very simple teaching from this passage. God with us demands our action. So as believers, we are to feed and follow. We have a responsibility. We are to continue to follow Jesus, to follow, to obey, just like Joseph did when the skies are dark, when it doesn't make sense, when we want more insight, when we want more message. Follow me. Obey what you know. And then feed. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Find those around you that need help. Encourage them. Help draw them to me. One of the things that is so true about lambs is they just constantly need help. They're not an animal that can be left. They need tending. And for all of us, we have those that we should be tending to. So we tend, and the only way we do a good job is when we follow. But the reason it all works it's because we have God who said, I love you so much that I'm going to send Emmanuel, God with us. And the reality is, because Jesus no longer walks this earth, does not mean for a second that God is no longer with us. Because Jesus himself declared that me with you in the flesh is not nearly as good as me with you in the spirit. And you and I today, as we go into Christmas week and we celebrate Christmas, God with us demands our attention. It demands that we announce it and it demands our action because we have a gift that is the most valuable gift in all of the world. And don't let the commonness of it devalue the pricelessness of it. You've heard the message. Now I hope you'll respond to it. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, now's the time to bow your head and ask Him to save you. In John 6:37, Jesus tells us that He will not cast out anyone who calls upon Him. I hope that you will call on Him today. If you need help spiritually, we'd love to be of service to you. Leave us a message, would you, at hbcga.org 
or 770-974-9091. Our service times are 1045 on Sunday morning, 930 for Sunday school, 5 o'clock for the evening service, and then 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Our services are warm and welcoming, and you will feel right at home. Come and visit us here at Harvest, and call on us if you need us. God bless you.